Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello and welcome to a guest-hosted episode of the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Emma Bristian, and today you've got two science communicators taking over Jack's podcast. I hope you don't mind too much. <laughs> or it could be, lucky you, <laughs> you're in for a, a treat. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have led with that. Hello and welcome. This is going to be an absolute delight to your week. We're going to be talking about all things kind of eco-anxiety and nature and science communication in this kind of very important field of talking to people about the planet and saving it. We are indeed. But before we get into it, if you can, there's a link in the description to buymeacoffee.com and you can help the podcast by donating £3 to help keep the podcast going. And if you can leave a review, that really helps the Bearded Tits podcast get out there. Go on, help Jack out. Sophie, today are we going to start, I think, by going very British and nodding slightly to the weather forecast because we're recording on the day of the biggest storm in decades. How are you doing? Wind blustered? Absolutely. Well, thank you for asking. Hello, um, Radio 4. <laughs> I feel like it's very, very, very polite. <laughs> yeah. So, Storm Eustace. We can't, we can't not acknowledge that everything is going wild around us. Everything is going wild. I'm currently farm sitting for my boyfriend's parents while they're in lovely, uh, sunny climes at the moment. And I am sort dream. of nervous it is very wholesome i'm nervously looking at lots of trees and plants and farm gates uh very much hoping that a farm gate doesn't fly off any minute and hit the chicken run or the sheep uh i mean yes storm eustace is very much here although it's very sunny so it feels kind of it doesn't feel quite apocalyptic yet but i must say it's no it's quite bright here as well yeah and and so how are you well we're both southwesters you're devon i'm somerset and normally we don't bear the brunt of all of the storms that we hear about. I feel Ooh. like this is one of the first times where we're one of the worst affected or planned to be the, one of the worst hit areas. <laughs> Finally, we're on the one. map. <laughs> yes, it's about time. It's our give time, some, Scotland. Give us some blown down trees. Come on. Um, so it just makes it slightly more real for me. And um, yeah, we've had one casualty already, and that is my Christmas tree in the garden has already jumped oh from the top of the garden and kind of oh, down the how street. athletic of it <laughs> i know <laughs> we're gonna enter it into the winter olympics um and and i don't know there's i, I do love a good storm if i'm honest but i, I love do. a good storm when i'm hunkered down and i can hear it yes um but there's something something about all of the reports of kind of damage and danger uh as making it feel a bit more like a climate anxiety storm for me Suddenly yeah. we're starting to see the more extreme weather events that we keep mm. hearing about. Um, because a storm this size hasn't happened for decades, has it? So No, I think the last time was the 80s or something. I know, mm. and also I think the fact that they're, they're flagging it. I, I don't think the media, well, I guess we'll, we'll see later <laughs> in terms of damage, <laughs> but I don't think the media is sensationalising it too much because, you know, the, when the Coast Guard and the emergency services are involved in proclaiming warnings and talking about this very rare red warning I feel like we kind of have to listen to it a little bit and it was interesting on Twitter last night um seeing the number of people linking this storm to intensifying their existing climate anxiety because mm-hmm. of just what you know what you've just said in terms of these extreme weather events are becoming more and more frequent and it kind of 
This demonstration of the power of nature makes you feel very small. And I think it's a reminder of how significant the climate crisis is and just all-encompassing if we're not careful about taking it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And I do I do hope that what we are seeing in terms of, I mean, you and I are probably in quite a similar echo chamber online. I hope that it's not just our bubble of people that are connecting these mm. weather events to the climate crisis and then in, in turn towards doing something about it. Mm. Mm. I guess it's, yes, it's kind of, okay, this is a dramatic weather day. It can be quite exciting. It can be quite worrying. It can be sort of a whole mixture of things. But then if you are feeling any kind of emotion about it, where do you channel that emotion? How do you take action? How do you kind of stir up some kind of productive conversation around what this means for for us and and the environment? I mean, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? How do we get people individually to not only do something about the climate crisis and feel like they have some agency over the future, Mm. but also by doing so, help them out with their kind of crippling fears of either the effects of the climate crisis or just not being able to be a part of a solution because we all feel so small. And I am in no way saying that all of the responsibility for tackling the climate crisis is on individuals. I absolutely <laughs> hate that narrative. It yes. makes me really angry. Yeah. But there is there is scope. There is certainly scope for us to have an impact. And also, yeah, we've, we've spoken before, you and I, about the power of individual action on just on eco-anxiety on a personal level and taking care of our own well-being. Mm. Absolutely. Being able to feel like we're doing stuff is a huge part of that. Yeah, and I tell you what this feeds into is a feeling I've been having recently, and this podcast will lighten up, listeners, don't worry. We've gone <laughs> in deep, haven't we? We've gone in, we've gone in, <laughs> we have gone in deep. Let's solve the climate crisis Let's and discuss do it. the weather. We're, and it's like quarter past eight in the morning, and I'm only semi-caffeinated, and I'm already <laughs> talking, we're, <laughs> we're only, already talking about deep stuff. But I tell you what I've been feeling recently is this kind of annoying low-level hum of guilt in Mm. the sort of sustainability conversation and obviously Emma you host the amazing For What Is Earth podcast where that's based around sustainability and helping people feel empowered and able to be a little bit more eco-conscious in their everyday life and I really encourage you listeners to cross-pollinate your podcast listening and go over to For What Is Earth but I wonder that you know I'm a I'm very lucky to be a homeowner now and to have kind of the ability to make some choices about what I buy, how I live, what I eat, everything. But I still feel guilty that it's just kind of not enough. You know, I buy an oat milk. Is this the right brand? Oh, no. Is it part of like a media sham last year? Or should I be making my own oat milk because there's a plastic cap on the oat milk? You know, how... (laughs) Yeah. How sort of blinkered do we need to to be? It's um, I don't know if you you feel that sort of annoying guilt. Oh God, every day. I think I think especially for people, I don't want to speak for you, but especially for people like you and I who have positioned ourselves in friendship groups, in families, and in the eyes of the public. Not that anyone, not that I am in the eyes of the public. Do you know? But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we put ourselves. And out I hate there. the word brand, but our our personal yeah. brands are environmentally friendly or leaning in that direction. So mm. there's almost even more guilt. I feel I feel like everyone eyes are watching that. Yes, yeah, I do. I do feel like that. Like my family as well. You know, sometimes I'll go home and we'll have meat for dinner, and my my parents will be like, "Oh, thought you were vegan." I'm like, "I'm not vegan. 
Um, yeah. I try yes. and think a lot about what oh, I eat. Oh my gosh. But the expectation on me is that I should be. Yeah, it's like, oh, um, should you be doing that? around Trafalgar yeah. Square in a hemp shirt. I know. You know <laughs> throwing seed bombs at people. And not shaving my armpits ever. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to do that. But I'm, I'm sorry. Environmentalism is much more modern than this like old hippie trope. But um, yeah. it's, yeah, I, I definitely do feel the guilt. And do you know what? Actually, sometimes I find the guilt comes from within the community as well. Agreed. And there's almost this one-upmanship of like, how green can you be? Yeah, and, or like, yeah. And like, so like you said about like the oat milk, that kind of makes me laugh because it's it's nothing in the grand scheme. I know. You shouldn't be having guilt over, I mean, brilliant they're drinking oat milk. Big fan of that. <laughs> um, I also drink oat milk. But like worrying about one little bit of plastic on the top. Oh, I know. The, well, yeah, I, I think mean, you can just drive yourself crazy. Yeah, is, you, you've got to balance it with your mental health, and also, you, like you said, you're a homeowner. So the bigger things that you can do is switch to renewable energy in your home, and that's yeah. a massive change that you can yeah. have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think so it's interesting. Um, it is, and I think it, if you if you worry too much, you run the risk of losing the bigger picture and the perspective. Mm. And thinking about, you know, I think just being a bit kinder to yourself in just doing what you can. And you're probably yeah. still doing more than most people because if most people were doing what you were doing, i.e. maybe making some dietary changes or using your car less or maybe not buying as many clothes and things like that, or perhaps, you know, choosing to buy less but buy better quality if you're able to, all those sorts of mm. things. If everybody was able to do that, it would be a brighter picture. But I think it's... it's uh, there's a danger of constantly feeling like you feel obliged or that you're just inadequately making a difference. I think yeah. every little thing is more than enough. They they absolutely do add up and they are so worth doing. But like you said, like you, you can't... The idea of completely martyring yourself and putting the planet ahead of... I, I So I say consider the planet in all your decisions, like look at the world through mm. that lens. That's what I've got into the habit of doing. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the answer to every question if your yes. mental health or well-being is going to be impacted negatively from that decision. Yeah. We, we have to look after the planet, but we have to look after ourselves too. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're, if you're say, for example, you wanted to go visit some friends in London for the weekend. And for me, living in Devon, that's an exciting sort of prospect because it's feels far away and it involves like travel and it's a big city and everything but if I suddenly start feeling like oh perhaps I shouldn't or oh what about carbon emissions of like a, a train or if I needed to drive for whatever reason oh should I really be doing that should I not go I think when it starts to come into the category of depriving yourself of positive life-affirming good mm. healthy experiences that help get you in a good frame of mind uh then I think you need to perhaps check in and reevaluate. I th I've always said that you're you're going to make much better decisions for yourself the planet the environment everything if you're in a good positive frame of mind and if you have clarity mm. if you start to spiral into questioning every single decision and worrying that everything has to fall under the bracket of doing something for the planet and i know that there are people who feel that because i think of you know the the communities that exist on social media that really promote that uh i think that is quite a dangerous avenue to go down and i don't think that that is sustainable 
for want of a better no, word. Not. And I think it will put, lovely, well done. You, and I think you. it will put people off even starting their own yeah. sustainability journey. I think that's my It'll be negative. Um, it, yeah. yeah. It will, it will, it like will turn it into like, it exactly. It will turn it into like a sort of negative, very um, narrow focus. And it will be, I think it could be a make or break for drawing the audiences in and making it seem accessible and relatable to everyone. And actually with that, with that in mind, Oh, I have a, a question. Segue, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're a professional podcaster these days. Oh, stop it. I'm going to quickly uh, plug another podcast. Sorry, Bearded Tit. Obviously, everyone listen to the Bearded Tit first, um, but then indeed. head over to the Lodgecast, which, Sophie, you're the wonderful host of the Beaver Trust Thanks. podcast, where we also have very important conversations. And Emma anyway, expertly produces that. And for season three, is hopping on a bit more and being behind the mic, which is exciting. Anyway, getting involved in some nonsense, yes. But back to your wonderful nonsense. question. Back to my segue, audiences. Obviously, we are millennials. Well, I don't know if that is obvious, but we are millennials. We're in the <laughs> 24 to 35 or, or 25 to 34 age bracket. Basically, mm. people who are born before, is it early 2000s? Something like that. Anyway, there are there are these there is this new generation climbing the ranks called Gen Z, and they are very exciting. Mm. They're very fired up. They're very creative, from what I can see. And mm. TikTok has obviously become a huge phenomenon and planet of its own in the last couple mm. of years. My growing interest is how can we make things like sustainability, action for the planet, climate change, extreme weather, all these sort of interesting links and, and topic areas how can we make that relevant to a generation who are used to seeing content that is probably no more than 15 to 20 seconds long go and this is the million dollar question. I, I don't know <laughs> this is this is the kind of question that I was really keen to ask you because you are good brilliant in fact at creating short form video content uh. that engages straight away this is absolutely not my specialty i'll happily sit and consume it um but i mm. Mm. i actually would rather pick your brains like what goes through your mind but a are you on tiktok no well yeah, okay. that's a lie i i have an account but i just look at other people yeah okay so you're not you're not creating stuff on tiktok absolutely not instagram reels which is essentially uh, the same thing um it's just yeah to they that still terrify me yeah mm. but you're very good at them i noticed recently you had a small obsession with enya um yeah can i can i side note and ask what's driving that <laughs> i'm enjoying it immensely i but i love enya so the where that where that <laughs> I don't really know where that came from, but someone sent me a very kind message being like, Are you okay? Is this what happens after you write a book? And not to plug the book, oh. but I have written a have written a book. And it I think it's completely sapped my creative side of my brain, such that I don't have the capacity at the moment to think of much else other than Enya, who I listened to a lot when I was writing. And then um, I always found that, you know, when you're listening to Enya and if you're on a walk and if you have oh, those moments sure. and you suddenly think, gosh, I might be in a film right now. <laughs> <laughs> is that just be like, does the film yeah, just be like, oh, this is the, this is the part where I walk away 
and hold my head high and walk in a woodland <laughs> and feel empowered. This is, yeah, okay. exactly. And so sometimes, or like if you're on a train and you're just kind of looking wistfully out the window and you're mm. listening to an amazing bit of music and you're just like, if only the cameras are watching. <laughs> no, I don't think that. But I think it's more that um, I just kind of thought, well, what does Enya do when she's in nature? Does she feel like this constant ethereal mysterious mm. kind of cinematic experience and uh I just I think I mean growing up my brother and I as you know Emma and I go way back uh used to make the most ridiculous home films like actual movies with characters and roles and music and editing I, honestly and everything. I think we should both go back through our family archives because there's probably we some should. gems there's in there some, some absolute gems one of the one of the ones I thought about recently was a recorded clip of my brother and I arguing about who should play Hermione when we're acting out a battle scene. <laughs> my brother's like, no, you played Hermione last time. And I have to say, oh sorry, God, Thomas, I think he was about 17 years old. Oh, so that's I fun. Was imagining going way further back than that. Oh, well, there's a, there's a long well, archive, but wonderful. it lasted a while. But anyway, what was I saying? Enya so your love of film is... Uh, love of been film and I think... Yeah. And I think also I've, I've, I think since writing, I've taken a humongous step back from Instagram, partly because it was so distracting and noisy Mm. and I just needed to, I couldn't hear my own thoughts at all. And I couldn't craft my own sentences without it in some way, like being vaguely influenced by something I'd been watching on social media. And so I wanted Mm. to completely step away from it. And because I enjoyed it so much that ever since I, I stopped writing, I have just kept it very much at, at arm's length and I've been so much happier for it. But I think I've also started taking it less seriously and posting less frequently. And I think with the reels, obviously the world is kind of, it's challenging at the moment and a lot of people are looking to social media to feel some kind of escapism and uplift. Mm. And I kind of thought if I could demonstrate and hook new people in with just showing some kind of joy in nature and not taking yourself too seriously and not making it seem like this kind of exclusive club where you have Mm. to know a certain amount in order to participate or you have to have done it for a certain length of time in order to actually understand things I just wanted it to be something that people could relate to and you're just kind of a normal person doing normal silly things and it's a bit nonsensical and a bit weird but I mean, I feel like that's everybody, right? <laughs> In a way. Absolutely. I think I think the way that you do just uh, you just feel very authentic online having known you not online and having seen you online. The nonsense that you bring to your Instagram content is normal you nonsense. And it's not even normal you nonsense. <clears throat> it's just normal person nonsense. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why your content is so relatable because you'll go and do something silly and will almost hear your inner monologue and be like <laughs> that's my brain also oh and, thank you and it's and I, I and i think that's probably why or one of the reasons why you are so good at helping people connect with nature because they can see themselves in you and in your content and then hopefully see themselves outdoors and enjoy translate that into their own thing yeah and i think I, I i certainly feel better mentally for adopting that kind of healthier use of social media and i think it's so much easier to just be yourself and i think when you're talking about complex difficult challenging topics like climate change eco-anxiety 
you're going to communicate that so much better if you're communicating it as you, normal mm-hmm. person dealing with these very normal, big questions. And I again think that, um, you know, it's, it's like a, it's an evolution and it changes. And I don't know like how long I'll be on social media, what will happen, what will be the future of Instagram and communication about science. But I think, I don't know, I, do you feel some kind of level of responsibility as someone in this space to ensure that, you know, the baton is passed well, as it were? As in through the generations? Back yeah, to Gen all Z, the, or just all in the, general all the information, anyone, with? anyone you interact with, because you're, you know, you're professionally trained, you've done a master's in science communication, you've got a strong environmental background, you know, do you feel some, do you feel some level of responsibility in taking to these public platforms and putting your content out there? Yeah, I do sometimes. And and I think that's one of the reasons I have a strained relationship with social media, because I almost Mm. feel, and it's, and it's of my own making, I, nobody is sat there saying, excuse me, I'd like you to comment on these things and be on this space. Nobody has ever demanded that I'm putting mm, out this content. That's so true. But I almost feel that because I do the podcast and because I'm putting so much energy into trying to help people connect with the planet and sustainability and nature, because I do fundamentally believe that if everybody connected with nature more, the entire world and every facet of it that is bad would be better. Mm. I don't, I don't, I've already lost my train of thought, but um, I do sometimes feel like there's an expectation to continue talking on every platform. Mm, instead of the so one true. that I have forged being the podcast and I and then yes, sometimes spreading I yourself too thin things because I feel like I should be yeah even though no, feel like said, nobody's asking me to yeah yeah um yeah but then oh. like you said the other, the other pressure is making sure what you're putting out is correct and is good and is useful and mm. everything that I'm trying to do at the moment I'm looking through the lens of is this actually useful mm. to someone mm. or am I mm. doing it self-indulgently that's such a good and question. That's really stopping me from doing a lot of things, which is probably yeah. good. Like you said, there's no point spreading ourselves too thin because then we don't help anyone. Well, and then you have ourselves. less energy to do, uh, you know, to, to really see what you can do and see, mm-hmm. you know, where your limits are or, or whatever. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was this trend on social media that I find really interesting. And again, I think we have the same echo chamber. We follow the same people. People follow us. There's a lot of apologising going on on social media, especially people in environmental circles Mm. who I feel are feeling burdened perhaps more than others by what's going on in the environment. And so they perhaps feel more pressure to post a lot to help keep people abreast with what's going on or to communicate things more or to say, oh, it's International Wetlands Day or, oh, it's International Biodiversity Day. Yeah. we have this habit, don't we? And I've certainly done it where we, we, dis- we go off social media for a few days, a week, whatever, for whatever reason. We're too busy at work. We're too busy doing life. We just want a rest and a break from it. When we come back on, the first word is, sorry, I haven't been here for a while. Sorry, I've been gone. Who yes. are we saying sorry to? Why do we do this? Who, a, who cares in the loveliest way possible? Yeah. I mean, maybe people care. Maybe people do care. But, but B, why are we apologising for taking time to look after ourselves and our mental health? Um, mm-hmm. And if you've got an audience who are disappointed or aggressive that you haven't been posting, like, mm. is that the kind of audience that you want to be engaging mm. with? I don't, 
I don't know. I, I, I completely echo your thoughts. I think that's it's an interesting, and I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's more prevalent in in women. I'm going to take a stab at that, but also, mm. um, I, I just feel slightly more like we're primed to yeah. apologise for things and for even yeah. existing or or taking yeah. time out of existing in certain spaces. Mm. We do feel you, like we. I feel it, the question that I have been asking is like we don't owe anyone anything. We're here by choice. They're there by choice. If we choose to take time out and give no for no reason at all, what the hell? So be it. Do it. Because yeah. no doubt you'll probably come back more refreshed, more energized, more creative, more inspired and willing to take time to have cool conversations and to meet people. I was going to say, meet people online. <laughs> but you kind of do though, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you do. You really I, do. Honestly... I bumped into somebody uh, the other day, just the other day, who I've spoken to online for like two years. <laughs> and we met in person for the first time, completely unplanned. And it was one of those moments where you were like, we clearly know who each other is. Um, oh, did you actually speak to like, them? I went up and I said hello. And, and they were like, hey, it's so good to meet you. And I was like, thank God, because I had that horrible anxiety of, I'm going to go and say hello, but what if they don't know who I am, even though I think they might? Um, and it was yeah. really lovely and I wouldn't mm. have had that nice conversation with this lovely person who's also in a similar space and mm. just enjoys the same things I do if it mm. wasn't for social media. But um, yeah. It's, Stop apologising. It's a strange space. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. So you, you, you mentioned you took a little bit of time out or you've lent off social media a lot because um, you've been rather busy writing your first book. Forget yeah. me, which is out in the spring. Oh, How thanks. are you feeling about that process kind of coming to... Because it's, it's been an overwhelming process for you in the sense that it has taken up a lot of your time and energy. Mm. How are you feeling now you're kind of in the final stages? Exhausted. Yeah. A break without apologising. Exactly. An unapologetic long holiday, please. I um, Yeah, it's been the most... It's been the hardest thing I've ever done and the best thing I've ever done. Not, not, I'm not saying the book is the best thing I've ever created at all. It's more that I'm sure as it a, is, though. I'm really excited a, for it. Thank you. It's just more the process of it. I just absolutely loved every minute and loads of people, which I was a little bit, in retrospect, a little bit annoyed. I wonder if it's just this culture of negativity that sometimes exists. But a lot of people primed me for like, having mental breakdowns and having regular writer's block and what are you going to do if you you know just can't do it or can't write and so sort of expecting an immense slog and yes it has been that but I've just I, I wasn't expecting to completely love the entire every single element of the process and there's so many different stages from like commission to delivery and oh the doors just opened Bear with me a sec. Here comes the Hang on a sec. Here comes, here comes you, <laughs> Sorry, Jack. This is going to be a fun edit. Um, Mark just popped his head in as well. It was like perfect timing. Oh, good, good. Synchronised um, chaos. Exactly. Yes, uh, no, I've just, I've just loved every element of the process. And I think it was such a, it felt such a privilege to be able to take a year, you know, away to just, bury myself in science and amazing researchers and species that I'd never seen or learned about before and then to travel to places I'd never been to before and 
just try and tell a craft a story out of all of these different things and from a science communication standpoint it was such a challenge and something that is very different to like writing articles or just normal journalism to actually try and think okay how can this be a story that people will want to read when they're tired or I personally find reading I know when it's a good book because I'll I'll be exhausted at like 10 30 at night and still be excited to read it mm. and I wanted to write something that people that that might elicit the same response but then it's very difficult when it <laughs> when it's about climate change and species on the brink of extinction but you've so, paired it with personal adventure and anecdote which I think lends itself so, yeah so well, well having travel yes having a journey is is a very good um is a very good underlying uh, sort of foundation for that and I think people will get an insight into I very much hope it's written in a way where it's just like we're just talking just now where it's just just a chat Mm. Um, I do find that sometimes with nature books um it's almost it's almost a barrier and although I can perfectly well understand a lot of the language that is used it doesn't flow as easily into my mind like sometimes I you know with some books you can tell they're beautifully written and they're incredibly thoroughly well researched um but I can't devour them at the same speed as I can Mm. like a crime novel or something Mm. where I'm just throwing myself into them Mm. because I sometimes have to go back and reread a sentence and think oh okay well what does this mean in context exactly how can I link that to the rest of the knowledge that I have I love that um, word devour. I feel like climate and the environment and what to do about it should be a topic that has to be devourable, if that's mm. also a word. It has to be well, consumed really passionately. You've kind of, um, well, I think we've kind of covered that you're a bit of an all-rounder then because you, you've nailed the short-form video content. You've <laughs> nailed podcasting. With the help of Enya. Yeah. also <laughs> nailed uh, an entire book. So well, we don't done, know that yet. Done a lot. You're, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly convinced, um, and I, I honestly can't wait to read it. But Thank so, you. what was your, what was your path into communications? What, what uh, was it about learning about science that you were like? Do you know what? I just want to talk about this forever. Uh, do you know? Uh, I mean, I've, we've talked about this a lot, me and you. But the answer that I've just thought of is that I think, I mean, I like talking. And I kind of thought being a, the idea of being a middleman between science and the research and the public was a really exciting one. And I felt like it was almost like a public service in this time of environmental Mm. crisis. But I'm not naturally good at science at all. The idea of laboratories and data and numbers genuinely makes me feel nauseous I just have never Mm. grasped it and I've always found it very intimidating very confusing I had to have a lot of help (laughs) to get through some parts of my zoology degree had to work so hard to get good grades all the time I'm just not naturally gifted in that space and I think the whole process of talking about it and trying to craft it in a way that anyone could understand the sort of bare bones or the you know the basics of what a paper is trying to say I think it helped me understand it and I think it helped me grasp it that whole process just helped my learning and I think because I enjoy learning I found that enjoyable mm. um if that makes sense I mean what about you you've equally done a you're equally an all-rounder and have done all sorts of interesting things and your route is is 
as equally meandering in many ways, I think, as to mine. It's a very meandering route. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you actually have a role in it, um, in that I, I also, I studied biology at university, and, and while I was there, I, I remember speaking to one of my tutors about doing an internship with the Sunday Times, because I was, without knowing that there was a name for it, I was interested in science communication. Yeah, it was just wasn't like, a buzzword, was it? Yeah. No, and he was like, listen, if you're not very academic, maybe science isn't for you. And I was like, oh my God, I just asked if I could go and do an in- like a writing internship so I could learn more about writing. I never... And mm. so he kind of made it very clear that, and perhaps this is quite an old way of thinking, that in his mind, the two um, were incompatible. And oh, I would say to people, so oh, you know, David Attenborough does two things. I was like, David Attenborough talks about like the environment and stuff. And they were like, yeah, but you can't be David Attenborough, can you? And, you know, when you're like, okay, cool, I'll just... Wow. I did what any timid young girl at the time did and just retreated and was like, okay, I don't know what to do with my life. I haven't got a clue. Because I remember and, um, when you went to the Sunday Times, I was so fascinated that you did that. Yeah, that was a really interesting experience. If anything, it told yeah. me I didn't want to work for a big newspaper, but it was mm. a, good, a good thing to have had. And yeah. um, and like, uh, so then I started working in, I think I started working in marketing and communications uh, and was really, I was pretty unhappy. didn't really know what I wanted to do. All I know is I wanted to do something purposeful and I knew yeah. that I missed science and mm. you were studying science communication masters at the time. And my mum kept saying, Emma, you need to do this course. This course is exactly what you need to be doing. And I was like, mm, it's Sophie's thing. I'm going to want to copy Sophie. I remember her messaging was like, me about it. Yeah, mum was like, stop it. You're a grown woman. Don't. It's not about copying. It's about no. finding no, a thing that's right for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I looked at the course and I was like, actually, this seems amazing. This is exactly what I want to be doing. So then I was yeah. like, Sophie, is it cool? And you were like, yeah, it's like the best thing. So I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna do this as a path, but until but it, but just the idea of it being a field that you could study and move into oh, and a bonkers. world that you can move within was just like yeah. Oh my god, this is the perfect marry of the fascinating science that I love and talking to people and exactly yeah. like you said, without having to be in a lab, um, but yeah. with, but but making the facts that somebody else is coming up yeah. with impactful. It's it the was kind just like oh my god, this eureka moment. This is what I need to be doing in yeah. some capacity. And I feel like science communication is so broad. There's honestly something for everyone. And I, I genuinely feel that of all the times to be needing people to ensure that whatever science is relayed is accurate, impactful, and is going to agitate good things, good behaviours, good attitudes, mm. I think it's now. And so for all of you out there... <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you if you are struggling to figure out what to do with your love of science and nature and the environment and you are also a creative person of which there are many i believe every single person is creative mm-hmm. in some way which is amazing and really exciting then science communication could be for you whether that's should through we, should art we start getting on commission for these science communication yes, courses <laughs> hashtag sponsor <laughs> <laughs> but it could be anything it could be art through music theater uh podcasts obviously writing whatever it is there's something there and i think it's it, that is the way it has such potential to reach groups of people who have not felt reached yet by science and nature and climate and still view it unfortunately as this cliquey little echo chamber which is still in many ways is mm. sadly but we're trying to get away from this, that this beautiful pairing of art and science is one that needs to be celebrated and pushed more because yeah. you're always kind of taught or historically it feels like the two have been kept 
wildly apart. Well, just like your lecturer said, I found that, I I don't know, he said that that's really interesting that he, he was putting them into separate boxes. Yeah, and I just don't think that's I don't think that's helpful, and I I don't think that, and I think that lends mm. itself to this idea that science is elitist, mm. and that it's inaccessible to everyone, and if you weren't good at it at school, it's not relevant to your life now. Yeah, and I think I think that science in general, more broadly, more broadly from just the environment, and nature, science, but mm. just science in general, an understanding of how the world works, and an understanding that science is really useful and important. And hey, maybe the pandemic has actually like led people to kind of appreciate the world of science a little mm. bit more um, mm. at least in a medical sense but I think I think a lot of us have just disconnected from science because it seems like a hard subject or a complicated subject or a mm. nerdy subject it's got kind of bad PR sometimes yeah yeah I completely agree um yeah powerful stuff and so what looking ahead to the next week Emma I'm going to copy something that you do on for what it's earth podcast (laughs) (laughs) what uh one thing might you do this week for the planet oh what might i do this week do you know what i'm actually flying to dublin i'm going on my first airplane in two and a half years so for a very exciting reason (laughs) the worst climate week um yes it is it is exciting would you like to tell people Um, why you're going yes Okay, I'm really nervous about this, as you well know. So I'm I'm going to go and be part of the Northern Ireland Science Festival, and this this folds in with my belief that I just want people to understand that science is really cool and interesting and is everywhere. But I do a different podcast kind of with um, a friend. It's called Small Screen Science, where we basically look at the science behind our favourite TV shows, and Such it's kind clever of pop format. chat science. Yeah, it's fun, and it's and it is to show people that science is everywhere, including even in your like your Netflix history, even in Friends. You come away, yeah even in friends so we're so we're doing a couple of shows as part of this science festival and i I think science festivals are such an exciting format to just Mm. gather people in pubs and be like Mm. science is not all done in labs look how interesting these weird facts are Mm. and then Mm. maybe people will take one of those away with them or Mm. at least will kind of think science is kind of maybe quite cool um so in terms of actually what i'm going to do for the planet i don't know I, i might have to carbon offset my flights Mm. but again thing that I don't think is worth doing but isn't. linking back to what we were talking about earlier so you're going you're you're going on a plane because that is the best mode of travel for the time you have because you're doing this outside of your actual job time by the way because mm. you you spin many plates a bit like me and so you're having to balance all of these things so a flight is definitely the best way to go uh but you're going there to deliver an amazing piece of science communication to a large audience and to reach people who you haven't reached yet. And so, but then I'm getting a feeling that you're, I'm getting a sense that you're feeling a little bit guilty about that and that you now feel like you have to compensate for that flight. I am, yeah. I really, I, I really am. And I, and, and, and I think that, <laughs> to take us full circle, this is exactly <laughs> what uh, we were we talking about right do. at the beginning. You see so mm. many people who are like, I'm never going to fly again and you shouldn't too. And that's what makes me a good environmentalist. I'm mm. like, well, I'm I'm flying for work because it's kind of the only option. I still believe that what I'm doing when I get and and even if I wasn't flying for work, even if I was going to see friends or family or to have a mm. joyful experience, there shouldn't be 
as much guilt as I may be placing on myself for it. No, I don't know. I mean, don't... especially with individual responsibility. Can we can we be blaming the people that are flying for business for absolutely no reason? Yeah. Not the people that are going on one holiday you're... a year because that makes their life worth it. You exactly. Know? And, you know, and your, your job is an environment, you know, your your career is for nature in so many ways and so I think again you perhaps need to be kinder to yourself and you know view it as I'm um go listen to some Enya go, go listen to some Enya and and <laughs> be a bit today, cinematic the storm, about it stay no, inside, yeah, stay inside stay safe stay away Leave from the, the storm. coast guard alone yeah exactly what about what about you go on then I'll flip that to you for before the planet question. Um, what are you going to do for the planet this week Good question. I have a chiropractic appointment coming up for my jaw. Oh, right. <laughs> I have a clicky jaw and it's really annoying and it's quite painful. And oh. it's seven miles away, the chiropractic lady. <clears throat> and I normally drive there um, because it's quite wiggly windy and it's incredibly hilly. But I'm going to, because I have to see her quite regularly at the moment, I've decided to, if it's good weather and I can afford the time to do it i'm going to cycle very and nice. not drive because it is a local trip and seven miles isn't that far and if i've got the time and i've got the light and the weather on my side then i will cycle if i can superb excellent yeah. well great that offsets my flight <laughs> exactly exactly but that i think that i think that's really good but that's exactly demonstrates i think how we should be looking at the way that we move around is is it necessary do i have the time and and the it should be one to extreme to other, each other, other options yeah. yeah and i think if it, if it can be something that weaves you know nicely into your life and your routine that's great and that's when it becomes sustainable because it's achievable and it's realistic when it starts to become a oh but it will take me three hours to cycle there and i'll be exhausted and i'll probably have to take time out of, out of work to do it that's probably not mm. a great move. You can probably do something that's it's a bit It's not a habit easier. that you're going to be able to keep going. Yeah, it will it? be like and a one-off and you might feel satisfied for like an hour after and you might talk to people about it and look really heroic, but then you probably won't do it again. No. <laughs> no. Uh, continuing to look forward, I think that we should end by giving Jack a little bit of airtime because I know you've recently worked mm. with him on an upcoming project oh yes we have yes we Should we, we give a donned plug to on the edge absolutely so with beaver trust which is my uh sort of serious job um we are making a documentary called on the edge which is about the concept of whether rivers in this country have enough space to do all the good things that they need to do so we're promoting um river buffers in this documentary and exploring what they mean, what they are, the different shapes they might take, um, what are the barriers to implementing them on a wide scale. And one of the elements of the film is to get under the water to see what it is that we actually have in our rivers and what we might lose if we keep cramming horrible stuff into our rivers and working right on the edge uh, of their existence. And so we couldn't think of a better person to help us do that than the wonderful Jack Perks. So Jack and I donned wetsuits and wetsuit hoods and went into a freezing Dartmoor River in November. It was like the most fun day. It was very fun. And to do, uh, Jack basically took me on a snorkeling 101 upstream against the flow to basically channel our inner salmon. 
and it was you such were a hard work. Fish. I was a migratory fish for for forty five minutes, and it was amazing. I've never snorkeled in a river before, and I don't know why I haven't. Me it's either. unbelievable, and obviously it depends which river you go to. But the clarity was, I was amazing. Say, was it a nice clear river? Because I'm not getting in the Avon near me. Oh, wouldn't do that. No, it was a lovely yeah. clear Dartmoor, you know, moorland fed river. And oh, it was gorgeous. very quite peaty, so it's quite rusty color water. Mm. And we did see a salmon, and we saw some trout, and it just the whole experience gave me such respect for the river and also the salmon and migratory fish for having to battle with these flows and these currents. It was such hard work, and I'm quite fit and strong, but to battle against the current like that upstream was really hard work. We were having to like hold mm. on to the rocks at the bottom and kind of crawl ourselves along so we didn't wow. just get swept away but it was amazing and jack was um jack's oh there's a clock can you hear that oh, oh it's nine o'clock that sounds like my grandparents house and it's grandfather just clock. so happy yeah it's so comforting it's nine o'clock everyone uh <laughs> we can cut that bit out you can cut that jack um no jack's enthusiasm for the river and freshwater is completely infectious and i'd love to do that again so jack thank you very much for doing that and you are one of a kind and i wish that there were more people like you i fish that there were more people like you doing what you're doing superbly done what a lovely button well (laughs) done thank you very much but yes so you will see jack in all his glory in mid-april when on the edge hopefully comes out I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be brilliant. The, the work that you did with um, Beavers Without Borders, obviously with Nina Constable again, was fantastic. So I'm eagerly awaiting uh, documentary number two from Beaver Trust. Thanks very much. Well, I think we've covered a lot of good meaty things there. And um, I probably imagine that it might be time to uh, Ariva Dirty, as it were. <laughs> we'll, we'll hand the reins back over to Jack, I think. Thanks very much for having us, Jack, and and listeners, I hope that that was of some relevance and usefulness to you. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we sort of gate-crashed a party quite spectacularly. We just had a nice catch-up, didn't we? This is not that that similar to many of our normal conversations. (laughs) I know. Hey, how are you feeling? (laughs) I know. It's good to check in, and thanks very much to Jack for hosting us. And do support the Bearded Tick podcast, and uh, yeah, listen next time. Have a lovely week, everyone. See you soon. Hey everyone, it's Jack. I am still around. That was Emma Brisden and Sophia Favell. Uh, <laughs> can't fucking talk. I haven't done a podcast in too long. Uh, Sophie Pavel. That was uh, great to hear them chat. Obviously you can tell they're friends and kind of an eclectic mix of subjects. I'm just chiming in at the end of this because I've got a couple more, or one or two more takeovers. I'm also planning to do some one-off podcasts on some exciting subjects don't want to say too much about those but yeah there'll be some interesting stuff coming up and just to let you know i am planning to bring the podcast back probably the end of this year winter 2022 yeah, on 2022 yeah you can it's absolutely fucking blowing a hoolie that's why um you can hear the wind out there it's a real storm anyway i'm waffling on enough so the podcast is coming back later this year and there'll be the odd one-off in between now and then. But thanks for your continued support. Hopefully you're enjoying these takeovers. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. You've been listening to Sophie and Emma, and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.